This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Words determine how a matter will go. They're very important, which is why we need to, those words that are like Proverbs 25, 11, a word on its wheels is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And now in the course of our 45 plus years at Scantabody's laboratory, I am unhappy to say that we have been, and actually are in now, several lawsuits. And so I never wanted to learn about lawsuits, but I got that kind of course. And what I learned is what happens so often, most of the time in a lawsuit is there are depositions. And depositions is where a lawyer sits you down and asks you questions, which sometimes can go on for six, eight hours. I was in one of 10 hours where you're just being asked questions for 10 hours. It's grueling. It's exhausting because everything you say is being recorded sometimes with video, not just what you say, but how you express it when you say it. And they need to get into court. And somehow there's this 12 foot tall screen of your face and the expression on your face when that question was asked, you know. Of course, they never show the first part of, well, so how often do you beat your wife? And then you get that shock look. That's what they show, you know, but anyway. And at the end of the deposition, you receive a transcript of the questions that were asked and your answers. And that transcript is, I've seen them be 200 pages. And you'll be asked to read that transcript and confirm that that's what you said. And I can tell you that sometimes I've read the transcript and I've said, is that what I said? What was I thinking? Or what was I not thinking? And that results in next time I'm going to think more before I speak and use better words and not say things that didn't come from thought and not say things that just came from, I mean, say things that came from thought and not say things that just came from emotion. So what happens when you bring one or two of these witnesses to meet with an offender is that you can see how the words that each person is saying is being transcribed in the minds of these one or two witnesses. And that should result in more thought given before speaking. So what it says 
in verse 16, verse 16, when Christ said that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. That's what it's talking about, the words. And as a matter of fact, the Greek there for established is the word to stand. And when you sign that deposition, that's it. That's it. You just say it and you can sit there and say, well, I never said that. Then they'll come with recording and they'll say, this is what you said. It's not like you can take the depositions. No, I'd like to change that. No, let's just scratch that from the record. You can't do that. So those words of that deposition, they stand and they'll be used in court. In other words, what is said with the witnesses is the official position of each person. And so this idea of having witnesses, this isn't new to the book of Matthew. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 19.15, Deuteronomy 19.15, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinned. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. In other words, stand. So in other words, the idea here is that after meeting with the person who's offended you, instead of just giving up, you go the next try. And the next try is one or two others. Now, Christ is focusing on the best outcome of an encounter between the offender and the offended. And that outcome is in verse 15. In verse 15, the outcome is, if he shall hear thee, if he shall hear thee. Now, if that happens, it's wonderful. And in verse 15, thou hast gained thy brother. And James refers to that in James 5.19, James 5.19, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So James speaks here of converting of a soul or as another place in the Bible calls it, the winning of a soul. The Bible speaks of winning of souls in Proverbs 11.30, Proverbs 11.30, where it says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, we think of soul winning as bringing the lost to Jesus Christ. They are converted to Jesus Christ. But here, winning a soul is bringing around a person who has offended us to the point of gaining that brother again. And the wise person sees an offense against him as an opportunity to recover a lost soul. He doesn't just look at it from the little cocoon of, what did he do to me? He looks at it from the bigger picture. What is his position with Christ that enabled him to do that? What has he done to Christ? And so that, that it's not just an entertain, just not just an opportunity to reconcile between me and him. It's an opportunity to see him reconcile with God, a greater issue. The issue here is that a soul is of great value to God and we should work hard to recover a lost soul because if the loss of a soul is a great loss, the gain of a soul is a great gain. Now, there's always the very real possibility of failure, in which case, verse 16, verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So in the end, there's no guarantee that a person, even though he might have presented to him the most gliding words on wheels, the best words possible, there's no guarantee he's going to be converted from his sin. It all still comes down to the choice of the person, as it does for every sinner who hears the gospel. It's the ultimate decision of the sinner to choose to hear God calling him or not. And if this offender does not respond to our best efforts 
to make our words glide along and as a beautiful picture as we can of apples of gold and pictures of silver, we're not to give up because the soul is worth fighting for. And we have the problem that when we read a passage like this, we just rush to the last step and we want to expose to the church and see him kicked out of the church. But God has a different focus to try and to try and to try and to try to recover that brother and not see him kicked out of the church. And that's the strategy behind this verse 15. That's the idea and the strategy behind verse 15. Paul spoke about his fighting and fighting to recover brothers in Christ when he wrote in Galatians 4.19, Galatians 4.19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Travail again? If you'd ask a mother, would you like to travail again for that child? Mother say, no way. Oh, wait, those are painful contractions all over again until the baby's finally born? I want that to be the once and for all and done. But to work with souls is to do what Paul said in Galatians 4.19, travail in birth again. And that's what this verse 16 is all about. It's another attempt to bring a person to repentance. And the Lord here gives a number of how many witnesses you're to bring. He says, take with thee one or two more. The number he gives is one or two and no more. Now, why one or two and no more? The reason is because sin is shameful and God has designed shame as a prod to bring a person back to God. Christ described sin already in verse 12, in verse 12, as went astray, went astray when he said in verse 12, how think ye if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray? Doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? So the picture that he's painting here is just gone astray. And Christ has designed shame to be like a prod that brings a person back in line back in line and stops him from continuing to go astray. And the less that people know about his sin, the easier it is for him to repent and to come back in line again. That's why the Lord is being so careful to not see the circle of exposure widen, but to keep it as small as possible when he said in first, in verse 15, if thy brother's trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And then the word alone is the key here. It's the key here. That means that when we've been offended, we're not to jump on the phone and say, do you know what he did to me? That's what he's saying. The word alone means that when we've heard about an offense of someone else, that's the time for us to go out in the backyard, get the shovel and bury it and not to get on the phone and says, do you know what he did to him? So when the Lord uses this verse alone in verse 15, the Lord is telling us that when we know about an offense, either because we've been the offended one or we've heard about an offense, that that is the time to get out the covering cloth, the covering cloth, and just lay it over the sin because that's what love does. Love uses the covering cloth. And in 1 Peter 4, 8, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things, have fervent love among yourselves for love shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, the opposite of love is hatred. And hatred in comparison to love in Proverbs 10, 12, Proverbs 10, 12, where it says, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. So 
hatred broadcasts sins. Hatred makes other people angry at a person for what they've heard that he's done. Hatred stirs up strides. But it says in Proverbs 12, 16, Proverbs 12, 16, a fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. Now, why is a fool's wrath presently known? It's because the fool has gone around telling everyone why he's so angry with a person who's offended him. And for that reason, the Bible calls him a fool. And in contrast to a fool is a prudent man who says, covers shame. The man who covers the shame is an offender. He's called, the man who covers the shame of an offender is called a prudent man because the covering of sin is what God does when he forgives sin. The Hebrew word for atonement is kippur, as in day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And the word kippur means covering. So when you see an observant Jewish man and he's wearing a, a yarmulke or a kippah, it mean, it, that means covering. And when God forgives our sins, he covers our sin. And after all, we have a very basic question to ask in the Bible is, how could God call anyone righteous? When the truth is, Romans 3, 23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, the first person in the Bible that God called righteous was Abel. Abel, as it says in Hebrews 11, 4, Hebrews 11, 4, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. So that meant that, okay, Abel was a sinner. A sinner is not righteous. Abel was a sinner. Then how could God call him righteous? Well, it was because Hebrews eleven fourteen says he obtained witness that he was righteous. Well, how could he obtain the title of being righteous when he is a sinner? Because Abel brought the blood sacrifice to God. Abel believed that God would forgive his sins through the blood sacrifice, which Cain did not bring. And when Abel brought the blood sacrifice, then God covered Abel's sins. And with Abel's sins covered, Abel was righteous because that's what God does. And that's what God loves to do, cover sins. And if we go broadcasting a sin that someone has done, then we're working against what God is doing and what God loves to do, which is cover sins because God loves to see peace. God wants friendship with himself. Friendship's a big word with God. He loves friendship between people also. And Proverbs 17, 9, Proverbs 17, 9 says, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. So the more that people are told about a wrong that a person has done, the harder it is for that wrongdoer not only to be converted through repentance, but it's not easy to resist telling others about a multitude of sins, but it's worth it because of James 5.20 that we saw, James 5.20 we saw, which is the he that converted to sinner shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. But when a, a sin is broadcast, friendships dissolve. Friendships, he has separated very friends, and God doesn't like that. So now, the Lord changes the word here that he's using to describe the response of the offender. First of all, if you notice in verse 16, if he will not hear thee, if he hear thee, hear thee. See, this is the response, hear thee. Now, just before the offended person, the offender 
when the offended person stands in front of the offender, it's a matter of his will. It's a matter of his will. He has chosen not to hear him or he's chosen to hear the offended person. But when the offended person is now in front of not just the offended person, but also in front of one or two others, and he won't respond, it's not that he has chosen with his will not to respond. It's a matter of, in verse 17, and here's the change of words, he shall neglect to hear. So first it's will not hear. Now it's neglect to hear. Now the word neglect, Christ has added a new dimension to describe the sin. The sin has now risen to a new level, and this is the level of neglect, as in, I don't care what these others think I have done. I'm not going to respond. I'm going to persist in my position, and I'm not wrong. To neglect means to disrespect, disrespect. So in other words, I have no respect for this other person who's been brought in, or these two other people have been brought in. That's neglect. And the presence of these one or two other witnesses is designed to appeal to the person's mind because it's an attempt to try and get the person to reason himself out of his sin. So this whole area of the subject from verses 15 to 20, verses 15 to 20 on how to deal with the vendor is not meant for us to have a way to hurt or counter the offender. The whole subject here in verses 15 to 20 has to be looked at in the context of this whole chapter. And the central theme of this chapter is verse 11. Verse 11, the son of man is come to save that which is lost. He's come to save that which is lost. So when we're offended, we're hurt, we're angry. We have to set that aside and see that if this offender is not brought to repentance, then this is an indication that this offender is lost. And the position of Christ with regard to the lost is verse 11. Verse 11, the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. So the goal of these verses, 15 through 20, is not to condemn, is to save, because John 3.17, John 3.17, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the goal of bringing in the one or the two other witnesses is to have the person respect the views of the other witnesses. Now, because after all, maybe the offender has some particular problem with the person he's offended, and that's the reason he doesn't respect him. So if that's the case, then the other witness or witnesses are there so that he can respect them and see how wrong it's been. But if the offender decides to not hear them, then that means that the sin is risen to this level of not respecting them. And the act of not respecting them, like I said, is described by the word neglect, which is the same word that's used in verse 17, like I said. And if that occurs, the offender has disrespected the one or two witnesses and that he has neglected to hear them. And Christ said, now take it to the next level. And the next level is verse 17. If he neglect to hear, it was verse 17. If he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man or a publican. So again, the goal here is always in this chapter, verse 11, the saving of the lost offender and verse 12 to, to get him to stop going astray. And that's the reason for bringing this man's sin to the attention now of the whole church. And the goal here is for the person to respect the church's view, which represents Christ. The church represents Christ from Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20, Christ, his body sake, which is the church, which is the church. So by telling you the church, the goal is for the person to see that Christ is against his sin and for him to turn around. But this is only the last resort, and only if he refuses to respond to the church and as a whole is the man to be treated, as it says in verse 17, as a heathen or a publican. And when it says that he is to be treated as a heathen man 
and a publican. We have to keep in mind Matthew 9.10, Matthew 9.10, which says, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him as disciples. So Christ welcomed publicans and sinners to be with him because Christ saved publicans and sinners. So when it says that this man is to be treated as a publican or a heathen or a publican, that's not meant as a final declaration of his eternal state, of his doom. That simply meant that he has dropped back down to the state that he was in before he came to Christ. He's in that state of savable and a candidate to be saved. Now, it's interesting here that Christ refers to the church, which simply means a congregation. It's a congregation. It's a kehelot in Hebrew. It means a group of believers. And the church is important to Christ because he said in Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Christ is going to build his church. He's going to fight to build his church against the gates of hell, against the powers of hell. And the purity of his church is also very important to him. And he gives a tremendous authority to the church in verse 18. Verse 18, when he says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's referring here to the decision of the church regarding this brother who refuses to repent of his offense. He's leaving it up to the church and to their decision. And he's saying, if the church decides that this brother who has not repented should be bound and not be a part of the church, then Christ is saying that in heaven there will be heard an amen and that there will be a ratifying decision in heaven. On the other hand, he's saying that if the church then subsequently decides to loose that brother and then allow him back into the fellowship with the church again, then again, they'll be heard in heaven, the hearty amen, and that decision will be ratified in heaven. That's a tremendous authority that Christ has given to the church. Now, we know there are some churches of thousands, and there are some churches with a very small number. And so Christ now clarifies the minimum number for a church to make such decisions. And that number is in verse 19. Verse 19, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done in heaven. It be done for them of my fathers in heaven. So even if a church only has two persons in it, then that qualifies them as a church, which by the way, it qualifies us here as Mission Valley Community Chapel. We have that minimum number. <laughs> but when he said, they shall ask in verse 19, they shall ask. It shows that such important decisions about what to do with a person who refuses to repent is not made by the church in a vacuum. It's a matter of asking prayer from God for direction. It's a matter of prayer for the church. And then he gives an assurance for the church to not be afraid to take a decision, not be afraid to take a decision. As he says in verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So in that verse, he's saying he's very much present in the church in guiding and in standing behind the church, even if the church is only made up of two persons. If just two persons are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, that's a church, whether they have a church building or not. And as a church, he says he's in their midst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ and the patient, Lord, patient way in which he guides and instructs us and in the loving way in which he promises to be with us 
even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.